Welcome to the Resume Storyteller, bringing you interviews with industry experts, regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. Guys, I have with me two board director search firm experts, Lisa Ward and Adam Sajak. Both work for James Drury Partners, which is one of America's foremost board advisory services firms with clients that span industry and range from 100 million all the way to 260 billion in revenue. They have advised the boards of major corporations regarding governance policy, director evaluations, best practices, CEO succession and introduce qualified candidates for IPOs and spinouts, um, and even replace retiring directors and reinvigorated legacy boards. Um, Lisa is a senior partner with James Drury Partners, and she brings to the table decades of experience performing board director search assignments, corporate governance consulting, and much more. And then Adam is a head writer and editor for James Drury Partners, um, And he brings to the table experience as a certified resume writer, career branding expert, and he has written career marketing collateral for America's premier business leaders and Fortune 500 C-suite executives. Um, Adam and Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. Um, This is a topic that, um, you know, it's very niche, but also there's a lot that's not known about it. So I appreciate you coming on. Sure. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Um, so you heard me sort of rattle off um, a little bit about the organization that you work with, but I'd love to hear from you exactly how James Story Partners helps companies and executives um, to to uh, get into the world of, uh, I guess, the board world. That's a horrible term, but... <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for, for having us and happy to happy to take this first question. So so James Drury Partners is a boutique firm. We specialize in corporate governance consulting. Um, So everything that we do is in the board space. We conduct traditional board searches whereby a board would retain us to help them recruit a new director, typically against a a pretty defined spec, you know, either because they're looking to uh, backfill someone who might be retiring or they've uh, potentially identified a, a skills gap that they want to fill. Um, we also offer a unique model, which was innovated by our founder and named partner, Jim Drury, about 16 years ago. We call it Board Select. And it's essentially a reverse engineered process whereby boards retain us to advise their CEO or someone else within the C-suite on finding an appropriate and meaningful external board on which to serve. Um, it's, a, as I said, a unique unique to our firm, this, this process and this approach, and it really enables our client executives and their boards, to the extent their boards want to play a part in this, to really ha- play a strategic role in selecting the optimal board, uh, one which is aligned with that client executive's professional interest and objectives, as well as the strategic priorities of their companies. Um, and it's just an interesting and new way to think about the process versus the historical way this would always happen, which is the executive would wait to see what kind of inbounds they might get from traditional right. search firms or, or uh, boards networking on their own behalf. No, it's very proactive versus reactive. Correct. I love that. Um, so as a writer, you know, this, this podcast a lot mostly supports job seekers. Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion around 
the different kinds of boards, what they, you know, what are the responsibilities, whether they're paid or not unpaid. Um, in turn, and I know that there are, you know, there's nonprofits board, there's startup boards, there's public companies. Um, could you sort of walk us through high level view? What what are the core differences between those three? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll start with nonprofits. I'll, I'll at least uh, speak to uh, the others you asked about. Um, but yeah, I consider most nonprofit boards pretty much in a category of their own. Uh, board structure will often vary by the type of nonprofit, but uh, one of the most common that many of your listeners might be familiar with is a 501c3, which is going to be a charitable organization. Um, and board directors for, for those types of organizations are often unpaid positions. So in yeah. fact, uh, those board members might actually be expected to make a charitable donation themselves for the privilege of serving on the board. Um, and they're also going to have some type of either a personal connection or uh, a personal passion about the, the mission of that nonprofit. Um, responsibilities, of course, are going to vary from board to board and function to function. But uh, like for-profit boards, 501c3s are often going to have board committees. So uh, serving on a nonprofit's budget and finance committee, for instance, can provide some useful experience that might prepare a board director for service outside of the nonprofit space. However, nonprofit board service isn't uh, considered a prerequisite for for-profit board service, and the experience gained, you know, by itself or in a vacuum, is unlikely to qualify the individual for service outside of the nonprofit space. Now, of course, there's some exceptions. You know, there's, uh, for instance, there's currently a financial services firm on the Fortune 500 right now, uh, but it is uh, set up as a nonprofit, but run very much like a business. But by and large, serving on the uh, board of a local community charity is not going to get you considered for service on the board of a multi-billion dollar energy company. So with the nonprofit, you're expected, and Adam, you and I have both served on the National Resume Writers Association board for several years. You, you're expected to pitch in your either sweat equity or possibly even financial equity. Uh, correct. Yeah. And the financial equity is oftentimes going to be those charitable ones. Um, so. 501c3s, uh, I know we're on a nonprofit, but it's uh, set up as an association. Um, there's a different designation for that. So instead of uh, uh, contributing monetarily, we're, uh, we're definitely volunteering our, our time and, and expertise. Okay. Um, so Lisa, can you walk us through what's involved in serving on a startups board? Sure. Yeah. And I would say um, <clears throat> from a standpoint of the responsibilities uh, serving on either a startup or an established public company, the responsibilities are the same. Essentially, it's a, it's a fiduciary responsibility. The board members uh, are in, in charge of making sure that uh, the, the direction of travel is correct. And that kind of, again, doesn't matter where a company is in its evolution, whether it's brand new or, or a well-established company. Um, what I tell you is that then when you think about what that means for um, a startup versus an established company, that's where they, there's really kind of a difference. Startups okay. tend to be focused on commercialization and growth and figuring out how to get the company to the next stage. 
Established public companies, on the other hand, have gotten to where they need to be, but they have challenges that are unique to well-established businesses, such as, okay, how do we, for example, transformation, that's a big word we're hearing a lot these days. Mm -hmm. Um, How are we thinking about ESG? How are we thinking about complexity of supply chain problems or whatever it might be? And those are unique to each organization. Um, But at the core of it, the responsibility of a board member, regardless of where a company is, age and stage, doesn't change. Okay, that is good to know. Um, so with, is it fair to say, given what you said about startups focusing on commercialization and growth, do you need to have experience in fundraising, you know, getting seed funding, that kind of thing? Or is that, is it again, depend on, on the organization? I would say no if it is a public company. Um, if it's a startup company that is still in the uh, age stage where it's early stage, then yes, they might be tapping their board members to uh, help them figure out um, financing. But for the most part, when in terms of what what we deal with here at James Jury Partners, it would be companies, startup companies that have reached the point where they've gone public. In okay. which case, they're they're relying far more on their board members for uh, bigger bigger picture kind of expertise, okay. as opposed to being connected to like VCs or private equity. Okay, that helps me. Um, okay, so now, in terms of, uh, are there any other differentiators that are that are worth calling out? Then, when you're when you're recruiting for an established public company that we haven't talked about in the, in the startup phase? Yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult to answer that question because it varies from company to company. Sure. They all are going to have different priorities in terms of what is most important to them. If they're, for example, actively seeking uh, to add to their board, they're going to have an ideal profile that's unique to that situation. Perhaps they're looking for a qualified financial expert, someone who can eventually chair their audit committee. Uh, most of them are looking for, you know, people who have, have been in business leadership roles, meaning someone who has run a PL or even a sitting CEO okay. versus a functional leader like a CHRO or general counsel. Okay. But every one of these is different. So it's really hard to answer that in a in a okay. So it looks, it sounds like you're you're there's a gap that needs to be filled. And whatever that knowledge gap is, you're looking to fill it, whether it's HR or finance or sales or what have you. Correct. And and it's a gap either that isn't represented today on the board or that the board might be losing as a result of a retirement. Okay. Okay, that was really helpful. Thank you. Um, I get those questions a lot. And and honestly, I didn't know really the differences between um, the different phases of startup. I think and that, that's an important distinction that uh, you know, there's there's well ones that are well established and are, are have been PE funded for a year, and then there's bootstrapped ones where the needs are very different. Yeah, and it, and I'll tell you, Virginia, it varies by industry too. When you think about, for example, a biotech startup that isn't yet public, if you look at those boards, they're populated by the PhDs, the scientists who are helping to figure out whatever the molecule is that they're trying right. to eventually try to commercialize versus, for example, let's say an early stage pre-public uh, retail company. That's going to require a different kind of expertise. Um, but all of those at that phase of development are going to be focused on how do we scale this thing? How do we get it? If it's not public yet, 
How do we get it to a point where it's ready to go public? And once it's gone public, then it's really important because we think about those small companies at that stage when they've just newly gone public, they are, until they grow to a certain size, they're probably an acquisition target for somebody. So there's right. board members are thinking about how do we, how do we scale this thing to get to, if, if the goal is to get it to a size where it's a, a, you know, company that isn't going to be an acquisition target, how do we get there? Okay. Yeah, you're right. They are, they're all, the commonalities are trying to drive scale. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's talk about career marketing collateral, which to me is a LinkedIn, a resume, a bio. Um, are there differences in how they need to be written when one is a job seeker versus a board seeker? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll take this one. Um, okay. Yeah, the, the short answer is, is yes, um, very much so. So, okay. you know, just broadly speaking about executives, I think everyone should have, you know, a well-written, visually appealing, high-quality resume. Uh, really good, strong bio, strong LinkedIn profile. Uh, but if that executive is seeking to join particular a public company board, uh, the content contained in their resume and bio is going to vary somewhat significantly from one that's used to land their next executive role at another company. Um, a good way to think about it, I think, is by the time the executive is being considered for service on the board of a large public company, uh, it's, it's already assumed that they're both highly qualified and accomplished. So we're not going to spend as much time focusing or emphasizing the individual achievements or specific successes that they may have had. Um, instead, boards are often looking for directors who are broadly experienced in business, uh, have been consistently successful in driving their company's performance, and are the type of person that are going to fit in well on the board for which they're being considered. So in other words, they are they going to fit in well with that particular board's culture? Are they an authentic and approachable person? Will they get along with their fellow directors at, at board dinners, things along those lines? Um, and okay. you know, do they understand and respect the line of authority between executive management and board director? So if your bio and resume don't get those points across clearly, your chances of successfully landing a board service opportunity are going to diminish quite a bit. Um, I can go into some specifics um, of things that you know we are oftentimes emphasizing for our clients. Um, and yeah. anyone kind of considering those types of, of public board roles are definitely going to want to play up in there. Um, it's not an all-inclusive list, but as Lisa alluded to before, having run a large company or a large business unit within a company. Um, so that PL management responsibility, that's that's yeah. always going to be desirable. Um, current or previous executive experience, just with large, widely respected, well-known uh, business. Um, Hands-on global business experience is oftentimes something that's sought after. Of course, past corporate board experience is, is going to be a, a big asset. Um, financial expertise. So, you know, credentials or experience that qualifies that individual as a qualified financial expert, again, as, as Lisa alluded to, or a QFE. Those could be things like, uh, you know, having served as a public company CFO, having your CPA, things along those lines. Um, and then, you know, we kind of get down into some more uh, board level uh, issues, but more uh, specific ones, which are going to be more on a case-by-case -case basis. And those can be things like, uh, you know, 
uh, a deep understanding of cybersecurity or a lot of hands-on involvement with um, mergers and acquisitions, business transformation, ESG, or even diversity, equity, and inclusion matters. Um, those are all things that we may play up in the career branding with collateral. So issues common about. to the large corporations are facing today. Definitely. Yeah. The ones okay. that are, are, are being faced by large corporations and that uh, are, I guess, at, at the board level uh, concerns. But um, oh, we, we, I was just going to say, you know, I would say anyone that wants to uh, pursue that type of opportunity, uh, that's kind of baseline. Um, obviously here, James Story Partners, we do, we take it a few steps further than that. So um, instead of developing a, an individual's resume and a bio and a separate LinkedIn profile, we're, we're creating this comprehensive uh, document. We call it a, a board profile for each of our clients. And that is going to contain a background summary, which is similar to a bio. Um, it's going to have an abbreviated resume, um, but it goes, like I said, well beyond that. It, um, it has a section that basically tells our, our client's life story. So where they came from, the inflection points and lessons learned throughout their life, things along those lines. Um, now we work How with- How long is that? Is that a two-pager or does it depend? Yeah, so that, that one section, um, the, the, the life story, we, we love to have it come in under two pages, but two pages tops, um, which makes my, my job writing those a, a bit of a challenge sometimes because yeah. we're working with really interesting. Many, many years of really cool experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're a lot of fun to write, but, um, but yeah, kind of weeding out the things that are impressive but not relevant to the audience is uh is going to be really important there and then again we even go beyond that we're we're including uh references uh information you know quotes from from these individuals references regarding their board readiness uh we're speaking to specific strengths and attributes that uh that make them board qualified as it were um, and those are all contained kind of in the self-contained board profile we do. And the reason for that is when we're approaching boards with a candidate, you know, um, and even if, you know, you weren't using a firm, but you're, you're going through the process, it's not send it to the head of HR and get called in for an interview and get a job offer. It's, it's a very oftentimes uh, lengthy process. Um, it's going to go through. Many, many different hands, you know, it may start at the nominating and governance committee chair and go to the full committee, uh, board chairman and or CEO are, are likely to review it at some point. Um, they're being seriously considered. The, the entire board is going to read through all of that. Um, the, the CHRO or general counsel may get involved. So depending on where the candidate is in the process and depending on who is reading it, they're all going to have different areas that they're interested in at that time. Um, and we find that a resume by itself or a bio by itself um, or even those documents put together are not going to sufficiently address all of those issues. So by developing something more comprehensive early on in the process, uh, we find the rates of success are going to go up quite a bit. So how long is an average board profile if the life story piece is two pages and you've got the abbreviated resume, um, the quotes, all of that? Sure. So uh, it's going to vary a bit, but I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, seven or eight pages total. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, these are, you know, we want them to look pretty too. So they have 
elements of a, of a cover sheet and, and things along those lines. But these are not, you know, solid blocks of, of text on every page. But uh, yeah, I would say sure. similar. Okay. So, but it's very robust. Um, and I appreciate, you know, it's always important to know your audience. And in this case, the audience is the board committee as well as sounds like the executive leadership team. Yeah, it can it can include those for sure and and even go beyond that, right, Lisa? Yes, indeed. <clears throat> depending on depending on where it is in the process. Okay. Okay. Um all right. Well, you touched on this subject before, um, but you know, in terms of the the issues that are commonly faced by large corporations, you mentioned um ESG, MA, um, and DEI. And so I'd love to talk, dive a little bit deeper into um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, because it is an important topic um, when it comes to corporate hiring practices. Can you provide our audience with insight into DEI's role in the board space and, and how it is factoring into selection for board service today? Because I feel like this is something that really wasn't a discussion five, 10 years ago, at least not in the, not in the news. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Um, I'll, I'll take this one. And I will tell you that, broadly speaking, <clears throat> DEI is top of mind for every board. They're all thinking about it. They're all aware of it. Um, and they are embracing it um, wholeheartedly today in a way that you are, are, are absolutely correct. Probably wasn't the case. I wouldn't have said five years ago, because even five years ago, many boards were thinking about this. Certainly not 10 or 15 years ago, though. Um, but the important thing to remember about diversity as it relates to boards is that first and foremost, boards want people who are broadly experienced and have that are that are ready to serve on a board, who are who have governance capabilities already established. So all this to say diversity is really important, but no board wants to add someone simply for the sake of diversity. And quite right. honestly. No candidate wants to be added for that reason either. They want to be at the, at that table because everyone around the table respects their experience and respects the right. insight that they're bringing and not just because they're able enable the company to check a box on the proxy about diversity. Okay, what um what so uh, the people that I work with come to me and they say, I want a resume, but I'd also be interested in starting to serve on board. So they're not ready for this, this high level fortune level board work. Um, what is the best strategy do you feel like to help people gain board experience of any kind? Where, how should people start? Yeah, it's a terrific question, and, and it's one that we get all the time. Um, the, and so my standard advice to people is, first and foremost, make sure you are ready and qualified for board service. What does that mean? Um, looking at your resume, looking at your career, are you, um, have you, do you have enough broad-based business experience to uh, to be considered for a board? Have you run a PL? Have you run a business? What's been your exposure at your own company? To your own boardroom? Um, are you regularly spending time in your own boardroom? Part of what makes someone qualified for board service before they've joined their first board is the, the opportunities they've had to learn from, listen to, and learn from experienced board members. And where does that happen? Their own boardroom. So I would say 
you know, realistically looking at your experience and your qualifications and assessing whether or not you are ready for board service. And if you are not ready for board service, if you haven't had those opportunities, then I would encourage, um, I, and I encourage anyone to talk to whoever you report to, uh, whether that's your CEO or, or your COO or whomever it is, and let them know that you are really interested in this and that you understand you uh, need to probably add a few more arrows to the quiver before you're going to be uh, qualified or considered for board service and ask them how they can help you get there. Um, so, you know, it's really kind of two pronged. It's first, are you ready? And if you are, then, then you go on to step B. And if you aren't yet ready, then you need to uh, advocate for yourself within your own organization to get the people you you report to to help you become ready. Um, now, assuming you are ready and you're spending time in your own boardroom and you, you're at that stage of career where you would be uh, considered qualified for board service, then very important step, make sure you have support to serve externally and permission. Um, and what I mean by that is some companies and and fewer than there used to be, but there are some companies out there who do not want their, their senior executives serving externally. Um, they want all the bandwidth that person has to be directed at their day job. So, okay. um, so check in, making sure you've talked to, uh, again, if you're, if your CEO or your CHRO, whoever within your organization is the one who would green light that kind of thing to make sure you have permission to serve externally and you have their support to do so. Um, <coughs> then it becomes an issue of networking. Um, Part of that is going to happen when you talk to your CEO about, hey, I'm, I would really like to serve externally um, and I would like your support to serve externally and the CEO says yes, then the CEO can becomes part of your network and can help you uh, think about board opportunities and in, if appropriate, advocate for you uh, uh, for board opportunities, recommend you for board opportunities. The same thing goes with everyone for, for everyone within your network, people within your professional network, People within you, if you are already serving externally on a not-for-profit board, people on the not-for-profit board, making sure that they're aware that you are available for and interested in external board service, because a lot of this stuff does happen through word, through word of mouth. Um, there's a statistic that we like to share with people, which is that in any given 12-month period of time, in any given calendar year, only about 30% of the board appointments are made with the help of a search firm doing a traditional board search. In other words, going out there and actively recruiting for people. The other what 70 percentage? 30, three zero. Oh, okay. So the other 70% of board uh, appointments, give or take, depending on the year, are made through uh, these informal uh, channels, whether it's a firm like ours, uh, proactively representing a client executive or whether it's boards simply networking on their own behalf, talking to other uh, directors that they know and asking for recommendations when there's a, a potential vacancy to be filled. Um, it, it is ha it happens that way more frequently than it happens via, a, via what we would call a traditional board search process. So networking to make sure uh, everyone in your network, whoever those people might be, are aware of your interest in and interest in and availability availability for board service is really really important. So when you go, I have a question about number two: the regularly spending. Can I just tack oh, sure. on one thing to to what yeah. Lisa was was saying there too? Um, and and for spot on. Uh, 
I, I do, of course, uh, you know, I would advocate as, as the writer here to make sure, you know, if you are ready for that, that service and you're kind of going out and starting to do the networking and approaching, um, you know, getting the permissions, et cetera, make sure your materials uh, are, are prepared and positioned correctly, of course. Um, so that's going to be big. And I did want to mention one other thing about, uh, we, we talked about nonprofits and how that doesn't necessarily, you know, um, the, the experience itself isn't necessarily going to get you in uh, or on a public board. Um, however, you know, uh, just off the top of my head right now, where, you know, we work with uh, sometimes very, very large nonprofits, uh, health systems. Um, and as I mentioned, there's some financial institutions and so forth that uh, are technically nonprofits. But oftentimes on those boards are uh, public company or, or, or for-profit uh, executives, um, you know, from other companies. And uh, so when you're networking and you're networking with, with people that are going to have board opportunities within their own own companies, sometimes reaching out to them, uh, whether you're connected with them through nonprofit board service or somewhere else is, is definitely uh, a useful thing to do. So even though network nonprofit work isn't always sort of the natural path to corporate boards, depending on the size of the organization, it might, sounds like it might enable your networking. Yes. And I I was going to make that point as well. Um, When I I would encourage anyone who's thinking about serving on a nonprofit, first and foremost, first and foremost, excuse me, easy for me to say, um, it's important Mm -hmm. for you to be passionate about whatever the mission is of that not-for-profit and very engaged in what they're trying to do. But you should also, as presuming that you've um, that, that you've established that, when you think about whether or not that service on that board is likely to help you uh, secure a board seat at a at a, at a for-profit uh, entity, looking at who else is serving on that board. For example, here in Chicago, I'm just going to use an example: the Museum of Science and Industry is filled with all the captains of industry here in Chicago, right? All the CEOs are serving on that board. Field Museum is similar. So the big cultural institutions, at least here in town, are great places for people to, if you're if you're gonna be on that board and perhaps uh, take on some committee responsibility or whatever it might be, to get yourself in front of these very influential, oftentimes CEOs. And if you impress those people and they say, well, look at that terrific, chief marketing officer, that terrific uh, general counsel, whatever your role might be. Next time those guys or gals get a call from either a, another board member who's networking on their own behalf or a search firm saying, can you recommend someone? They'll say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't work with this person, but we serve together on the board of XYZ cultural institution. And he or she has really impressed me with uh, their ability to do whatever it is they're doing. And, and it's often the case that those kinds of recommendations can can get you onto the radar screen of um, people who are in, in a position to consider you for board service. Okay. So you're sort of gaining some internal champions through that, through that service. Okay. Yep. No, that's really good advice. Um, I wanted to ask you about, Lisa, what you were saying about making sure, are you, are you regularly spending time in your own, own boardroom? Um, so is it safe to say if you haven't had to, you know, build a case and gain board buy-in um, in your own company's boards, then you're probably not ready? 
I hate to make such a blanket statement, but I will tell you that one of the things we look at when we are assessing whether someone is ready to step up and, and be on a, a public company board, if they haven't spent any time in their own boardroom, it probably means that they still have some work to do uh, on their own development to, to get ready. Um, again, it's not fair to say, you know, let's, let's be clear, active executives, someone who has is, is got a full-time day job, typically is only able to serve on one board. Okay. So you can't say to that person, well, you have to have board experience in order to get board experience. They can only do the one. But one of the things that it is an indicator for us that they are in fact ready for that kind of responsibility is their own time in their own boardroom and exposure to those directors. If you're a couple layers down from your CEO and you're not yet spending time in your own boardroom, um, you, you, you probably aren't ready to be perfectly clear and transparent, okay. but there are things you can do. As I said before, what you want to do at that point then is advocate for yourself, go to the person sure. you're to and say, Hey, listen, I have this aspiration. I know I'm not quite ready. I'm not fully cooked yet, but I would like you to help me get there, get to the point where help me get into the kinds of roles where I would be exposed in my own boardroom so that I can gain that experience and be ready when uh, to be considered for these kinds of roles. And Virginia, that's something that when, I, when we're writing um, for our candidates, you know, again, most of ours uh, have that um, uh, have that exposure within their own boardrooms. That is always going to be a part of the story and, and the resume and the in the bio and the you know personal profile section. So that's something that I'm always on the lookout for so that I can weave that into the story because we're going to. Showing how your, your interactions or your communications with the board help to help to drive the strategy or shift the strategy or advance something. That or, or even just presenting on, you know, in your particular area of expertise, but uh, knowing how how to navigate the board space um, and how that works. It's it's quite a bit different than anywhere else in the company. So um, just having that familiarity is going to be beneficial. Okay. Well, and the other thing I want to emphasize is, you know, you're in the boardroom, you're presenting to those board members, you're interacting with those board members, but you're also listening and hearing the kinds of questions those directors ask. And because to me, and Adam brought this up before, but I want to come back to it. One of the things that is, I think, the toughest transition for um, someone who hasn't yet served externally, uh, and they're in a full-time day job, but they haven't been on a board yet, one of the hardest things for them to figure out is that that difference between management and governance. As a board member, you're not there to run the company. You're not there to tell the executives what to do. You're there to help them think about the strategy. You're, you're there to be at a 30,000-foot at a level. And one of the ways that executives can uh, take off the executive hat and put on the board member hat is by literally the osmosis of listening to really smart, really qualified directors ask questions. Uh, and, and it is asking questions, not being directive. Hey, Mr. Chief Marketing Officer, this is what you should do. A director should never be saying that. They should be saying, have you thought about or have you considered or help me understand more about whatever the topic might be? And there's Reminds nothing like trying to guide, trying to guide uh, older young adult children versus <laughs> telling them what to do when they're younger. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. But that's and that's something that is that, that invaluable experience is kind of 
the only place you can get that is in your own in your own boardroom. No, that is such good advice. Yeah. And to Adam's point, one of the things we really emphasize when we are um, presenting our client executives, and we drill down on this to great detail when we're doing their references with their board members, is what do you think this executive has learned in your boardroom? How is that going to help them to be more effective and more valuable to the boardroom they joined? Uh, That's a huge piece of what we try to impart or what Adam tries to impart when he writes profiles for us. Absolutely. You have, to sort of, as part of my last question, you have outlined some steps that people can take if they are interested in pursuing a public or paid board opportunity. You reference, you know, getting board time learning from people that are skilled in governance. Um, You've referenced maybe even joining a nonprofit board, recognizing that the, your, your peers on that board might be, have experience in the boardroom and they could serve as internal champions. Um, Are there any other paths to corporate boards? Like is serving in a, a, in the startup space, is that, uh, 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 road that people can take? What, what are other, are there any other avenues that people could explore? Yeah, I think um, certainly to the extent that a startup board, again, you know, might have private equity people serving on that board and they are always on the lookout for great talent and always on the lookout for people they could put onto other portfolio company boards. Um, the other thing I don't want to leave out, and this is me, uh, you know, prior to James Jury Partners, I spent 22 years at, at Spencer Stewart. So I'm putting on the executive search hat for, for <laughs> brief moment, which is to say uh, that when uh, people who are, are open to board service and available for board service are networking, don't forget to network with the search firms. They do, as I mentioned before, 30% of the board appointments in any given calendar year. So making the search firms aware that you are interested in, available for, and have permission to serve externally is really important. They're only going to call you if they have a search that makes sense, right? They don't have, they don't, they they can't be, their ability to be helpful to somebody who's searching for a board a position is limited by whatever they're working on in any given moment. However, if they're working on something that's a, a match, Uh, having your uh, background and profile and resume in their system is a way to ensure that they'll know who you are and they can, they can reach out to you for appropriate opportunities. They're not. not, Yes. Not unlike when a job seeker is looking for a job, you're not, the recruiter doesn't work for you. They work for the organization, but having them as part of your, of your network um, can help keep you top of mind when an opportunity presents itself. Absolutely. Yep. Well, guys, thank you so much. You have demystified a lot for me and for, I'm hoping my audience, um, I really appreciate you outlining this path um, because it's not, you can't Google it or I haven't been able to Google it before. Um, So uh, speaking with you and understanding who your audience is when you're writing your documents, how you should go about networking, just very, very insightful. Well, thank you so much. It's it's really been a pleasure uh, speaking with you, Virginia, and we're, we're always happy, happy to help uh, provide some insight and illuminate the space a little bit. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are would be great on boards, but that aren't serving on them right now. So 
Exactly, exactly. Well, I have, if people want to connect with you, I have shared on your bios, your web, the J, the J Drury Partners website, the link, their LinkedIn profile, as well as your own individual LinkedIn profile. So those are the best places to learn more and connect. Yes. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thanks, Virginia. We appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to The Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's online skim hiring and decision makers, please visit www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.